0: 2nd kings chapter 2 and actually this week we are going to take a break from our series about uh, shadows of golgotha the thing is um i i spend a lot of time to trying to figure out what should be the next passage which finally i settled it's going to be isaiah 53 that song and i start um i spend substantial time studying uh, why the Jewish people or rabbis who teach the Old Testament will read that text and say, this is not Jesus. And I wrote about four pages in that, so you're you're really lucky today. <laughs> and then after I uh, did all of that, I just figured that I might want to approach the whole topic differently. But at this point in the week, uh, we had the retreat, and it was too late for me to go back and uh, start from scratch. So, hey, sometimes the Lord does that in a purpose. So I'm going to share with you some of the thoughts, uh, some of the things that... That I've been thinking about as far as church and ministry and evangelism and stuff like that um, and I truly trust that the Word of God today will be a blessing to you. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles you can turn with me to 2nd Kings chapter 2 or if you have your notes you can read with me. So this is, uh, if you're not very familiar with the Old Testament, um, David was the first king that God has ordained uh, and he was a man after, well, he was second. Saul was first. David was the man that was after God's own heart. He ruled over the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes. After his death, Solomon came and Solomon did not obey God. So the nation was divided toward the end of Solomon's reign. To the point that Solomon's son only ruled over two tribes, which are... Anybody can help? Benjamin and Judah. And the rest of the ten tribes, Levi did not have a a, a land. Remember, they were scattered all over in the refuge cities that we talked about. They have land all over the country. So the ten northern tribes split from the southern northern tribes, two two, two southern tribes. The southern one uh, still continued under the lineage of David, uh, and that was called Judah. And the first ten tribes, the northern ones, became Israel, and they went with the captain of his army at that time. Both Israel and Judah ended up not obeying God, backsliding, and God will send them a prophet, one prophet after the other, so they can come back to him. Amen? And Elijah, in the Old Testament, in the book of Second Kings, was one of these prophets that the Lord has sent, so he can bring the nation of Israel back to him, the northern nation. And um, this passage that we're going to read is the last thing, the very end of Elijah's ministry. And the Lord has commanded Elijah to find somebody who will take his place. And he did found a man by the name of Elisha. So Elijah trained Elisha to be his successor and now this part we read right now is the very last part, the very last thing that happened in the life of Elijah. Amen? So 2nd Kings 2 9 to 14. And so it was when they, that's Elijah and Elisha, had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm not sure if you heard the friend Hard He is one of the greatest evangelists in the world. He's he's the man. Um, and he say, I'm just, I'm gonna comment on that, and we're gonna keep reading. He's saying a lot of people come to him and say, you know, I need a double portion of your spirit or something to that effect. And he laughs in a way at them because in a way he's trying to tell us that, give me a double portion of your spirit. That's an Old Testament principle, amen. Yeah. But in the New Testament, we all have the same portion of the Holy Spirit, amen. You don't need double anointing of anybody else. You need your own anointing from God, amen. Yeah. He, he, this guy spills fire when he speaks. He's just amazing. So anyways, this is Old Testament. Don't ask for nobody's double portion. Get your own anointing from God. Amen? And we're going to see that when we study the text today. Uh, verse 10, so he said, that's Elijah, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taking from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Verse 11, Then it happens, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by the whirlwind into heaven. Amen? Amen. Two people in the Old Testament didn't die. Anybody has a clue? We have one right here, Elijah. And the second one was... Enoch. Correct. In the Old Testament, Enoch. He was not because God took him. And we read about that in the book of Jude. These two people didn't die in the Old Testament. Verse 12, And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, when he saw the chariot taken Elijah, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Amen? Look at this. Who are the army of of who is the army of the nation at that time? Who is really the true chariot of Israel and its horsemen? It was not the king. It was not the actual physical army. It was the man of God. Amen? Amen. That tells you something about your position in this world. Amen? You're truly the army of God in this place. Amen? So he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah and that had fallen from him and he went back and stood by the bank of River Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that has fallen from him and he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah. Elijah, and this is where we're gonna to stop today. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water it was divided this and this way and that and Elisha crossed over. over there are very few people in the bible very few people in the bible that god associate himself with their names amen like we know that god is the god of abraham right because of his faith he is the god of israel and he's is the god of jacob he's the god of isaac he said i am the god of abraham isaac and jacob many many times right very few people in the bible that god has no problem associating his name with their name amen and Elijah is one of these two people. He is the Lord God of Elijah. Amen. I love Elijah so much. So much so that when Katrina was pregnant with Sila, we decided that if it's a boy, we're going to call him Elijah. Because I just love Elijah as a man of God, and what he has done, and how he lived. Amen? So we're going to look today a little bit, not into Elijah himself, but into the Lord God of Elijah. Amen? Why would God not be ashamed to associate himself with Elijah the prophet? Amen? And when you read the story and the life of Elijah, you're going to see that there is at least three characters of God that is so prominent in the life of Elijah. Amen? Number one, that he is the God of the supernatural miracles. Number two, that he is the God who answers with the fire. And uh, number three, that he is the God who answers fervent. Prayers. Let's say these three points together. I want you to get it. Amen? Three characters about the God of Elijah. Number one, he is the God of miracles, signs and wonders, supernatural manifestation. Number two, he is the God who answers with fire. And number three, he is the God who answers desperate prayer, Fervent, desperate prayers. Amen? Let's talk about him a little bit with these characters. Number one, he is the God of uh, miracles. Before Elijah as a prophet, we do see signs and wonders in the Old Testament. But it's a little bit different. It's more like on a national level. You know, like Moses being uh, performing all these miracles, splitting the Red Sea and striking Egypt ten times with plagues. And all these different manifestations of the power of God. But it's more on a national level. It's all so that God display his power through the nation of Israel to the whole world. Amen? We do see some random healing here and there before Elijah. But all these healings was not somebody that is sick. And you know, a man of God go pray for them and they get healed. It's more like somebody get punished by sickness and then they get prayed for and then they get healed. So it's kind of like um, not an original sickness, it was a situation that they got themselves into and then the Lord got them out of it supernaturally. Amen? For example, we see that the healing of Abimelech in, in, in Genesis 20, that's the guy who took Sarai, Sarah, Abraham's wife, he didn't know that she's his wife and he wanted to have her as one of his wife, so God struck him sick and his household You know, because he didn't know, but when God came to him and said, hey, you didn't know, you're off the hook, just have Abraham the prophet to pray for you and you will be healed. And we see that he got healed. But you see, he wasn't sick in the first place, right? He got sick because of a specific situation and God healed him through Abraham. We see about the healing of Miriam from the leprosy in Numbers chapter twelve. But again, that was a specific situation. She rebuilt against Moses against Moses. So God struck his struck her with leprosy, and then Moses prayed for her and got saved. That got healed. We see the prayer of Hannah that she healed her from barrenness. Uh, we see that King Jeroboam before that got healed he 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 wanted to, to to curse the man of God and he stretched his arm to say catch that guy the man of God we read that story and this his hand just froze and then the man of God the prophet prayed for him and his, his arm got healed. So we do see healings but more is like it's situational it is circum based uh, on the circumstances. It's not like somebody just normally healed maybe with the exception of Hannah that nobody prayed for her. She just prayed and God answered her prayer. So that's the kind of miracles, manifestations of the power of God that we see before Elijah. Amen? Elijah takes miracle to a whole new level. Amen? It is not just on a national level. It's also on a personal level. Amen. That's when it comes to the life of Elijah. That's for the first time ever. We see a man of God, a prophet, who go pray for somebody who is actually sick or dead. And they actually get healed. So this is a brand new level of miracles that God has started performing through Elijah. As a matter of fact, the very first time we read about Elijah in the Bible, we see him stepping into the biblical scene with such an amazing sign and wonder that shocked the nation of Israel at that time. Amen? First time we read about Elijah. 1 Kings 1.17 And Elijah that despite of the inhabitant of Gilead said to Ahab who was the wicked king of Israel at that time, as the, Lord of, uh, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew, no rain these years except at my word. This is the first time we read about the guy in the whole Bible. Amen? Did you read what he said? What, what did he say? He said, there will be no rain until I say so. Oh wait a minute, Elijah. Are you crazy? Are you God? Is that supposed to be an act of God, not an act of man, right? But this is how Elijah entered into the biblical scene. He said, I'm holding look at what he's saying. I'm holding terrain till I allow it. Amen? Amen? This is Elijah. But think more about the God of Elijah. Amen? And under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we see God moving in such a miraculous way. I want you to get this, because at the end you're going to see something very powerful. God moved in such a miraculous way throughout the life of Elijah. Not just in, in a national level, but also in an intimate, personal level. Amen? For example, we see that in 1 Kings 17, he stops the rain. Later on in the shadow he multiplies the widow's oil and flour he runs away goes to a widow doesn't have enough to make cake for him and for her her family so he said your oil and your flour will always multiply and that happened. See, the miracles now are becoming into a personal level. amen. I not just a national level, a personal level. He raised her son from the dead in the same chapter. He defeated the prophets of Baal by calling fire from heaven and brought about revival to the whole nation of Israel in 1 Kings 18. He brought back the rain at his word at the end of 1 Kings 18. He brought fire from heaven to devour soldiers, wicked soldier who came to capture him twice in second kings 1 and he parted the jordan we read when right before that passage we read earlier when he was when he was walking with elijah he took his mantle he split the jordan he passed with elisha to the other side where he where he was captured to heaven and elisha you know broke the jordan back on his way back where he came from amen, amen. do you see that elijah moved in the anointing and the power and the supernatural manifestation of the holy spirit amen and this is who the God of Elijah is. The God of Elijah is the God of the supernatural power, the supernatural manifestation. Amen. And the same God who showed up in the life of Elijah with signs and power and miracles and healings and the supernatural manifestation showed up again in the life of Jesus and in the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost. Amen. When the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2, it all started with a supernatural manifestation, something so strange, fire, tons of fire coming down from heaven. Amen. And the anointing of God starts flowing, miracles start taking place, lame people start walking, deaf people start hearing, dead people start being raised from the dead. Amen? Amen? And we see it throughout the whole book of Acts that the Lord God of Elijah was active at work. Amen? And every single church that was planted, every single pe- person that was saved throughout the book of Acts, we see there is always association with the power of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders. Amen? Amen. I don't know, I can't help but to wonder myself today, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Why our churches doesn't have miracles? Why don't we see signs and wonders? Why don't we see people getting healed? Amen? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Amen? Amen? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When I grew up, I grew up in Egypt, born and raised. I came to America when I was 22. My church back home in Egypt is extremely evangelistic. Very, very evangelistic. We, do, we share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. Mainly reach out to like nominal Christians. We don't somehow, I grew up not sharing the gospel with Muslims. Everybody's discouraging me from doing it. So we just didn't do it. We didn't know any better. But we were, we were very evangelistic. Passing away tracts is just so common. Um, doing evangelistic meetings, crusades where we draw thousands of people. is so normal. We do it so many times in a year because our heart is always to get the gospel out to people. We were vocal about it. We were intentional. We were aggressive about it. Amen? And then I come to America. And then I come to America. Amen? And every pastor I meet, every church I go to, they start telling you, you know what? Don't just go tell people about Jesus. Just hang out with them first. Build a relationship and earn that right. You can tell them about Jesus. And then, then, maybe then, they might ask you, why you're so different? Why you love us so much? What is so unique about you? And then when the opportunity comes, you tell them about Jesus. Amen? This is what I've been hearing everywhere. And I wonder to myself, what Bible do these people read? What Bible do these people read there is not a single scripture there is not a single incidence in the Bible that teaches you that you need to build a relationship first to hang out with people first and then eventually you can share the gospel with them when the opportunity comes amen as a matter of fact the Bible is pretty clear it is quite the opposite you should be intentional you should be aggressive and if people get offended so be it amen there's 8 million people within one hour drive from here. If you get offended, guess what? Just move on. Amen? Wait a minute, Pastor Cam. You cannot be serious about this. What do you mean that there is no single scripture in the Bible that says we have to be intentional and aggressive and we don't need to build a relationship first? Wasn't Jesus a friend of the tax collectors and sinners? Wasn't he just hanging out with them and then eventually sharing with them the love of God? No! He wasn't! Yes, he did hang out with them, but he did not hang out with them so that eventually he can share with them the love of God. Where I get that from? I'll show you a couple of examples. Amen? Let's start with the tax collector. We have a story in the Bible about a tax collector called Zacchaeus. That Jesus went and he dined with him in his room. Amen? How much time did Jesus... How many months, how many events did Jesus hang out with Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus got transformed once and for all? None. The first time he goes to his house, Zacchaeus is a brand new person. Amen? How about, let's take a prostitute. How about the adulterous woman in John chapter 4? This was a woman who's living with a man who's not her husband. This is adultery, right? Mm -hmm. What would Jesus do? He's like, man, I'm just afraid if I turn her off by telling her this is a sin and she needs to change, then maybe she's just not going to listen to what I have to tell her. Maybe I just need to hang out with her a couple of times, and then maybe eventually she'll trust me. She'll know that I'm not this mean preacher that everybody's talking about, and then eventually I can tell her about the love of Christ and the love of God. Did Jesus behave this way? Now, the very first time he encountered that Samaritan woman in love, he presented the love of God to her and she got transformed that very time. Amen? There's not a single scripture, there's not a single incident in the Bible where people, Christians, needed to hang out with sinners first so that eventually they can tell them about Jesus. Amen? They had they shared about Jesus right away. However, the key, that key that the early church did it, that Jesus did it, was not that they spent time investing with people who don't know God, but they were all anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Signs and wonders, the anointing of God was backing them up in every conversation and every encounter with people that they did not know. Amen? The Lord God of Elijah was active, was well was functioning on their behalf amen Amen. and that's why even though they were bold with the message of the gospel it yielded so much eternal fruit because the Lord God of Elijah was at work Amen? Amen. amen amen the gospel is meant to be proclaimed you need to be bold with the gospel but you need to present it also in the anointing of the Holy Spirit The problem is, the problem is, in the church in America, we have substituted the Holy Spirit with some other things. We decided that, let's just have the nicest programs, so we can attract families. Let's have some cool kids programs so they can come and join our church. Let's have a cutting edge band. Let's have lightning. Let's have very nice coffee shop outside in the foyer so people can hang out and feel welcomed. And let's not pressure them, telling them about Jesus. Maybe, maybe, maybe eventually, they will come to know him. Amen? Amen. You know what we need? We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We don't need coffee shops. We don't need technology. We, we, we'll use it. Now, don't take me wrong. But this is not our hook. If we're going to try to impress people, then guess what? After we do it for 10 years, we're going to get a bunch of impressed people in our churches. Amen. I don't know about you. I don't want impressed people sitting in the pews. Amen. I want people who have been radically transformed by the power of the gospel because the anointing of the Holy Spirit has transferred them once and for all. Amen? So let's seek the Holy Spirit and let's quit trying in our own abilities and what we can do and trust God for what He can do. Amen? Amen. Let's seek the Lord God of Elijah. Amen? I promise you my friend, if somebody is bound by drugs, if somebody is bound by the guilt and the shame of sin, if they're just so burdened because of what Satan has been doing and ruining in their life, the last thing they really care is your home cooked meal. Amen? And they sure don't want you to hang out with them to watch the Super Bowl amen all what they need to hear is the uncompromised unadulterated the clear message of the gospel but it is associated with the anointing of the Holy Spirit amen yes. where is the Lord God of Elijah he's the God of miracles amen, amen. but number two he is the God who answers with the fire. fire we read that story in first Kings 18 just the very following chapter So the nation of Israel, the the northern ten tribes, were far away from God. None of them cared about God. They're all worshipping an idol called Baal. And there was about 4,000 people that loved the Lord and worshipped Him at that point. But Elijah was probably the only one who was vocal about it, who was known about it, that he is the only one who worshipped God. And Elijah wanted to bring the whole nation back to God. Amen? So what he did is, said this, he told the king, bring your uh, 450 uh, Baal's prophets or ministers or whatever, and bring the whole nation and let's all go to Mount Carmel. And let and let the prophets of Baal offer a sacrifice, and then I will offer my sacrifice. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And the people said, oh, that sounds like a good plan. So they did it! Everybody gathered on Mount Carmel and they started at the morning time. And the prophets who bowed, 450 of them, they brought their sacrifice and they put it on the altar. Elijah was just so confident, he let them go first. And then uh, they put that um, sacrifice on the altar and they start praying from morning till noon. And nothing happened. 450 people praying from morning and noon and nothing happened. Amen? At noon, Elijah started getting bored a little bit. So he started taunting them and started mocking them. And he started saying, you know what? You maybe need to pray a little bit louder because he cannot hear you. And they really actually follow, fall for that trap. They all brought swords and spears and started cutting themselves. And blood was gushing out of them so that the Baal will hear them. Amen? And they did that from morning morning till evening till noon when Elijah start mocking them and they start cutting themselves all the way till the evening the whole day almost crying out to God that he might answer them and bring fire from heaven amen and nothing happened so now it's Elijah's turn so here's what Elijah does he build the, the the altar and he brings wood put it on that altar and put the sacrifice in the wood and then he tells the people to pour over the wood Twelve jars, large jars of water, I think it 's four, three times. They pour it over the wood. Now think about it. I know he 's invoking the power of God and everything. You know what I mean, but you don't have it to make it so hard, right? Have you ever tried to lit a piece of wood that is wet? <laughs> It probably doesn't work, right? It will be a whole lot harder. It's, I would recommend you try a dry piece of wood than a wet piece of wood. Amen? But Elijah did it the opposite way. He brought 12 jars of water and they poured that water on the wood that the wood was wet and on the sacrifice. And there was a trench around the altar and the water filled that trench. And Elijah Prayed, and guess what happened? The fire of God came down from heaven. Amen? It devoured the sacrifice, the wet wood, even the water. It also devoured it. Amen? Because the fire of God came down. Now I don't know about you. But if you bring a jar or a a basket that has a piece of burning wood in it, and another jar um, that has water in it, and you mix them together, according to the laws of nature, who should prevail against who? The water should take over the fire, right? The fire cannot take over the water. The water can take over the fire. Amen? But not so when the fire of God falls down from heaven. Amen? Amen. And Elijah knew what was his strength. You see, Elijah could have sat down would say, Hey, King Ahab, I have a great idea. Let's hold a public debate. And he would probably would have won that debate hands down. I mean, these idols are dumb. They don't hear they don't see. They're just a piece of water, a piece of a stone. He can tune that beyond the shadow of any doubt. Amen? He could have reminded the children of Israel of God's miraculous acts in the past and how he has saved them. And he could have drawn so many people to really reconsider worshipping the Baal. Amen? But Elijah, friends, knew that the secret of the power does not lay in logic. It does not lay in, in, in persuasive words of human wisdom he knew that w- w- what will bring this nation back to God is not him and his ability but it is the fire of God amen yes. and because the God of Elijah he's the God who answers with fire God showed up in the life of Elijah and look at this look at verse 1st um, Kings 18 verse 39 and all the people saw this And they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord he is God, the Lord he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to Kadesh Valley and slaughtered them there, the 450 prophets of Baal. Amen? You see, when the fire of God falls down, it's not just going to be few people here and there coming to know God. Amen? It will be a massive revival that will bring the whole nation back to God. Amen? Now think about it this way. Even if there was 4,000 people, 4,000 people that worshiped God at that time, in in that days of Elijah. Let's say... The nation of Israel was about a million people. That's just a random, absolute random guess. That puts the people who worship God probably at 0.004 percent, something to that effect. Amen. Mm-hmm. This is bad statistics. Amen. Mm-hmm. When you wake up in the morning and you portion off that 0.004 percent of the nation, you're bad, you're just doomed. Amen. And you cannot see a way out. Amen. But the fire of God fell down. Amen? And after the fire of God fell down, Elijah, the 0.004% have probably become 99.9% of the nation. You know why? Because the fire of God has fallen down. Amen? And friends, the same fire that fell down on Mount Carmel in the days of Elijah has fallen down again as tongues of fire in the days of Pentecost on 120 disciples who were scared and just in the room praying because they didn't know what else to do. Amen? And when the fire of God fell down in the day of Pentecost, by the end of that day, the 120 disciples became 3,120 disciples. Amen? And this was not just a one-day thing that started a movement that changed history once and for all. Amen? And it's all because of the fire of God. And friends, that's what we need. Yes. People in Washington, D.C., our nation, this world doesn't need more programs, doesn't need another gathering, doesn't need another bunch of loving Christians. I promise you, they don't need that. Amen? All what they need is just the fire of God to fall down from heaven and give us a revival that change everything once and for all. Amen? Yes. I mean, think about it. Think about it. There is one point... Probably five or six billion Muslims in this world. There is about one billion Hindu in this world. There's about two billion people who don't, who haven't even heard about the name of Jesus. And the rest are most of them nominal Christian. They might claim that they're a Christian, living in a Christian nation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they know the God, they know God. Amen? Or know Jesus. Amen? They probably, there is, maybe have maybe 750, 500 million believers in this world. That's great, but that is too little to the massive task that we need to do. Amen? Amen? We're probably... What? zero one fifteen fifteen fifteen. Fifteen percent? Very, very little. We're the half of seven. Yeah, so about fifteen percent. But I promise you, friends, if the fire of God just falls down, amen, it will not take God long to change America. It will not take God long to change the world. It will not take God long to bring billions of people to the gospel and make them wash in the blood of Jesus. Amen? amen. Because all what we need is the fire of God. Amen? Yeah. I mean, 500 million people, believers, let's say that, first of all, none of them are going to be really evangelistic or really care, right? But let's say all of them are. And they spend a few years building relationships with their neighbors. And then after that few years, only a portion of that will even obey. By the time we build relationships, get people saved, and they go about and build relationships, get a fraction of that saved, guess what? The population of the world will explode. We're going to be decreasing, not increasing. Amen? Amen. I tell you, my friends, it is not God's will. It is not God's plan that we spend our time building relationship and holding the message of the gospel from people. Amen? But if we provoke the power of God, God will come down and the very God of Elijah will manifest His power once and for all. And this earth will experience a revival that has never been witnessed before. Amen? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He came down in fire on Mount Carmel. He came down in fire in the day of Pentecost. And he's still willing to come down with fire. Even on Franconia Community Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Amen? Amen? He is the God who answers with fire. So what is the secret for Elijah? Why was Elijah so anointed like this? And here is the third thing about God. He is the God who answered the Fervent, desperate prayer. Yes, yes. This is just so amazing. Again, I told you the first time we read about Elijah was in First, six, uh, first Kings 1:17. And that's the first thing that we ever, first time we ever hear of somebody called Elijah. Amen. And I just told you, how did Elijah enter into the scene? He said, "There will be no rain till I say so, right? That's, how he, that's, that's the first thing he said, correct? It's kind of not true. He said something else before that. What did he say? Let's read his words. As the Lord God of Israel lives, and look at that, before whom I... Stand. And because I stand before him, this is what's going to happen. You, there shall be no dew or rain this year till at my word. This is the key to the power that was in the life of Elijah. He was a man who was always in the presence of God. Amen? And you don't hear about him maybe for years and years and years where he is just in the presence of God. Amen? But once he goes out into this world because he spent time in the presence of God, then the power of God will just flow through him and he will bring the nation back to God in just one day. Amen? Amen. Yes. There is no such a thing as wasted prayer. Amen? Yes. Let's keep seeking. Let's keep asking. Let's keep knocking on the door. Let's keep begging God for the revival. Yes, he may tarry. Yes, it may take him year and years for him to show up. But I promise you, once he shows up, it will not take him long to change this nation and this world once and for all. Amen? Amen. Yes. We'll read about Elijah again and his prayer life in James chapter 5 in the New Testament, verse 16 to verse 18. And here is what James said. He said, the effectual fervent, this is how the King James put it, I just love that uh, terminology. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. And that word effectual fervent in the Greek is the word energeo. That's where we get the English word energy. energy, right? We get the word energy from it. So, I think for me, this is a, a massive passage about prayer. I just didn't have the time last night to, to, to dig deeper into it, so I just wanted to get the main point. But the point here is for, for me, the effectual fervent prayer doesn't necessarily have to be a loud prayer, but is a desperate prayer. Amen. I don't know about you, but if I go to a church or a prayer meeting or something like that, and I see people folding their arms, crossing their legs, sliding down their chairs to the point that they're about to fall asleep, and they say, oh God, give us a revival. I'm thinking to myself, pal, you probably will never see it. You know why? Because my Bible doesn't say that the half hearted prayer of the righteous will avail much. Amen. My Bible say it is the fervent effectual prayer of the righteous that is availeth much. Amen. You don't have to be loud. I happen to be loud. You don't have to be like me. Hannah in the Old Testament was not loud when she was in the temple, right? She was actually pretty quiet, but she was expressing. There was something about her that showed Eli, the high priest, that she's desperate to God, that he even thought that she was drunk. She wasn't loud, but she was expressing her desperation for God. Amen? I don't know about you, I just personally find hard time imagining somebody so desperate and they're just sitting relaxing in their place. Amen? You don't have out but just be desperate and God answered desperate prayers amen God answer when we cry out to him and we seek him and in order for James to affirm that point he quoted us a scripture a passage an example to show us how God does answer effectual fervent prayer amen, amen. and the example he takes is Elijah in the Old Testament and he said this Elijah who's a man with a nature like hours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Notice, if you go back to the Old Testament, you don't see Elijah praying earnestly. Like You don't see him praying all the time. Amen? All what you see is just showing up on the scene and say, you know, let there not be rain till I say so. That's what you see. But you don't see what's happening in the background. Amen? But in the background, Elijah was praying. Elijah was seeking God. Elijah was crying out that this nation will come back to God. Amen? Amen. And that is the example that James is using here, he's saying, look at Elijah, he prayed, he sought God, and then the rain stopped, and then he prayed again, and then the rain came three and a half years later. Amen? Amen. When I was driving back yesterday from the retreat, I was talking to Katrina about this. And I was sharing with her this message and the points that I want to talk about. And I was just telling her, you know what, it's just, when I read about Elijah, when I read about Elisha, when I read about Jesus or Paul or Peter, I just feel like these people just operated in a different world. Like they were worshiping to the point that they're worshiping a different God than the one I'm worshiping, than the one I'm trying to promote his kingdom and tell people about him. And I was just kind of disappointed. And then, you know, I mean, because it does bug me sometimes to read the Bible and see all this anointing of God. And we have nothing here, right? And then I was just going back and studying this and looking at these verses. And look at that verse. I think verse 17 is the absolute key. Look at this. Look what James said. He said, Elijah was a man with with what? A nature like ours. What is James trying to tell us here? That there is nothing supernatural about Elijah. There is nothing super unique about him. He's just like you and me, average Joe. He probably sometimes had to go to work at some point. He probably got frustrated. He probably got depressed. He probably got disappointed. He probably didn't, didn't trust God at some point. He probably struggled with some sin at some point. He's just like you and me. There is nothing super unique about Elijah. God did not pick him because he's super powerful or super super tall or super good looking or super spiritual nothing like that. Elijah is just like you and me. The only thing the only reason he moved in the power of God because he was a man of uh, prayer. prayer. Exactly. Because he prayed, God moved. Yes. Yes. I felt like, oh, so I can be like him. I just need to pray. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's not just me. Elijah wasn't a man who's called by God to be a pastor or leader in the local church. He was just like the leaders, the Bible says, right? Just like us, all of us, like Barb, like, like Jose, like Patricia, like each one of us, the only thing that differentiates Elijah, the only reason why Elijah moved in the anointing and the power of God and brought about revival that glorified the name of God once and for all, the only reason that he even chose to associate him with Elijah and call himself, I am the God of Elijah, the only reason is because Elijah was a man of... Uh, Prayer. Thank you. That's what we need. That's what we need. And that's our problem. We don't pray. We don't see people getting saved and then we wonder why. Yeah. We don't pray. We don't see people getting healed and then we wonder why. I mean, if we look at how... American churches pray in general, and ethnic churches, I mean, we're all ethnic in some way, but what I mean like, you know, Hispanic or, or African churches, these people pray, and I mean pray, amen? No wonder God shows up. No wonder they're changing the word for God once and for all, amen? God is no respecter of person. And this can be good news, and it can be bad news too, right? It's good news, because it doesn't does, does that mean that God's power is available for you as well. You also can move in the same anointing like Elijah. Amen? It's not for Cami, the pastor, or the district superintendent, or the president of the domination. This is for every single believer because God is no respecter of person. Amen? Amen? But this is bad news because God is no respecter of person. That means you can be the pastor of the largest church, and if you don't pray, you will not move in the power of God. Amen? God is no respecter of person. It's good news. It's bad news. It depends on how you want to react to it. Amen? Amen? Enough said. Let's pray. Yes Lord.